NPR. They make automobiles and lattes. They teach kids and care for the sick. They write your favorite TV shows and maybe act in them too. We're talking about the hundreds of thousands of workers who went on strike last year. Some nicknames have been thrown around to describe what seems like this growing surge in the labor movement. We got striketober, hot labor summer. Yeah, I don't know if that one really cut on mainstream. Doesn't have quite the the zing of striketober. <laughs> what about the winter of our labor discontent? The s- strike solstice? <laughs> Maybe this needs some more workshopping. Uh, these names are... You know, maybe nice for headlines, but what do the numbers actually say about what happened with labor last year? This is The Indicator for Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. And I'm Waylon Wong. Newly released reports show that 2023 was the most active year for labor strikes in over two decades. That's right. So today on the show, we'll dig into those numbers to try to understand what industries are driving this trend, how workers are feeling about it, and what it tells us about the American labor movement. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at eTrade.com slash NPR. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC. Member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. So today we're going to consider two views on the state of labor unrest in America, starting with what you might think of as the satellite view. Last week, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics dropped its annual report on work stoppages. Highly anticipated here on The Indicator. Oh, yeah. I know you had it on your calendar. You're like marking off the days until it got released. Work stoppage reports are like Beyonce album (laughs) drops here at The Indicator. And the big headline is that in 2023, there were 33 major work stoppages, which the Bureau defines as a strike or lockout lasting at least one shift and involving at least a thousand workers. It was a significant number. It was actually the largest number of major work stoppages beginning in the year since 2000. Renee Hersey is an economist at the BLS. She says those work stoppages resulted in about 459,000 workers being idled. And interestingly, the vast majority of those workers were connected to just four strikes. The biggest one in terms of number of workers was the SAG-AFTRA actors' strike. Tonight, for the first time in 63 years, both actors and writers will be on strike. The second largest was Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about vocational nurses, x-ray techs, and many other frontline workers. And the third was the Los Angeles Unified School District. Boys to walk the picket line include about 30,000 school support staff like bus drivers, cafeteria workers, custodians. And fourth, there was the UAW auto workers strike. The strikes now involve 46,000 workers at 40 assembly plants and part centers around 
around the country. A lot of us probably heard about these stoppages in the news. These were big strikes that involved tens of thousands of workers. But this only begins to tell the story of labor unrest last year. That's because, as we mentioned, the Bureau of Labor Statistics only counts work stoppages involving a thousand or more workers. That's the satellite view. And it's worth pausing just for a second to ask, why is a thousand workers the threshold here? Johnny Callis is an assistant professor at the University of Illinois who studies strikes in labor organizing. And he says it wasn't always this way. Up until the Reagan administration, the BLS kept really comprehensive reports of strikes of really all sizes. And these were 100-page detailed reports that, for those uh, data nerds out there, are still available online. Note to self, Google old BLS work reports later. Sounds like a party. (laughs) Back then, the BLS would count strikes involving six or more workers. Which is a lot fewer than a 1,000. And these reports are detailed. They even included information on what workers were demanding, what kind of contract terms they agreed to. But then in 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected president. And under his administration, the plan was to try and boost the U.S. economy by cutting taxes and shrinking government spending. As a result, government agencies like the Bureau of Labor Statistics took a big haircut. And Johnny says there may have been another reason for that. Reagan wasn't exactly a friend of labor. Uh, He fired um, thousands of air traffic controllers across the country for engaging in a strike. Uh, So I think there's certainly a political element there. With the shrunken budget, government number crunchers had to downsize to focus on really big strikes, which is still the system we have today. And Johnny says not to cast shade on the fine folks at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but their data set leaves a lot to be desired. It really paints a very distorted picture of labor activity if you're just relying on data involving very, very, very large strikes. An example that I always like to turn to is in 2021, there were 700 uh, nurses at St. Vincent Hospital in Worcester, Massachusetts on strike for about 10 months. That's a large group of nurses on strike in the middle of a pandemic. But because it was only, and I put only in quotes, 700 nurses, it wasn't included in the BLS uh, data for that year. These smaller strikes, while they might not make national headlines, can still be incredibly disruptive to people's lives and local economies. So Johnny says it's important for policymakers, organizers, and the public to be aware of them. And that's why in 2020, when Johnny was a Ph.D. student at Cornell University, he and his advisor hatched this new idea for a research project. He and his colleagues would monitor the news for strikes and lockouts, even really small ones involving just a handful of workers. They'd tally them up and then post the results on a website they called the Labor Action Tracker. If the official work stoppage report is the satellite view of labor unrest in America, the Labor Action Tracker gives a bird's eye view. While the government counted 33 work stoppages last year, the Labor Action Tracker counted 470. Yes, and let me get out my calculator. That is a big difference. Are you some kind of data nerd, Adrian? <laughs> I mean, I don't like to brag or anything. And interestingly, a third of the work stoppages they recorded happened in the accommodations and food service sector. Think of all those Starbucks stores where employees had been trying to unionize, for example. That wasn't captured in the government data. Even though those are smaller strikes, I would argue that they're no less important. Beyond counting the numbers of strikes or the people participating, Johnny and his team also try to document the reasons behind the strike and what workers' demands are. I I think a lot of uh, workers are feeling uh, disrespected and um, that they deserve more from their work. 
2023, they found that workers were striking over everything from racial justice to retirement benefits. But three concerns topped the list, and they are pay, health and safety, and staffing. Johnny thinks a lot of this can be traced to the pandemic, when a lot of people in customer-facing jobs and so-called essential workers were forced to risk their health to earn their paycheck, while many others could stay home. And more recently, workers have been feeling the sting of inflation. So then I think you see frustration with that and trying to make up for lost gains, especially when you see a lot of these um, employers and corporations doing quite well during the pandemic. So absolutely, you know, even though these strikes on a total macro level involve a relatively small number of American workers, uh, I think they absolutely reflect a lot of the labor market tensions and a lot of demands that workers have more generally. So when we zoom out and look at labor unrest in 2023, on the one hand, there's been a clear uptick, which continues a trend that started a few years ago. And union workers in industries from entertainment and automobiles to education and healthcare have successfully used strikes to get concessions from their employers on pay and working conditions. On the other hand, it's not clear what this bubbling labor unrest means for organized labor overall. A big question I keep going back to is what do these strikes lead to in the long term? Will there be evidence in 2024 of these strikes translating into more union organizing gains, um, a higher sort of union density? Because that could really be impactful for the economy more broadly. Though, as of now, union membership in the U.S. is still on the decline. And currently, just one in 10 workers are in a union. And compared to most industrialized countries, that is still pretty low. By the way, most of the people who worked on this episode are members of SAG-AFTRA. This episode was produced by Julia Ritchie with engineering by Josh Newell. It was fact-checked by Sarah Juarez and edited by Kate Kincannon. The Indicator is a production of NPR. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts.